to NURFM's Gardening Talkback. Scotty Sharp, good to be back with you, mate. Hello. There we go. Let's turn the microphone on. We're on our A game. Good to be back with you, Scotty. Good afternoon. How how you been? How you been? It's always good to be with you. Uh, look, today I thought we'd talk about uh, some different plant topics. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. What have you got for us in a few moments, Scotty? I thought we'd talk about Hoyas. Uh, Revolution Gold, I sort of had a chat about them with Todd on Friday morning. We'll go into more detail. And Purple Carrots. Plus, I love Purple Carrots. Oh, I... Better than the orange ones. We'll talk about those in a little while. I've got a couple of callers ready for you. Are you ready for them? Dive in. Let's go. All righty. Good afternoon, Karen at Lambton. You've got some spiders around at the moment. What's happening, Karen? Hey, Karen. How can we yeah, help you? I... Can you hear me? Yes, yes. How can we help? Yeah. Okay. This is live. Um, so I, I've got spiders in my shrubs, and I just don't know whether it's worth putting pesticides on that you'd use like on the house or whether I should have something that's plant-specific. Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't go and use the pesticides that you have uh, for your house. They could burn the plants, and I certainly wouldn't go and use, you know, fly spray uh, as, you know, as a product to try and kill the spiders. Uh, yeah. Spiders are probably a good thing for the garden, though. They're keeping everything turning around, so unless they're really sort of jumping out at you or, you know, creating their webs, you know, across your front door or something like that, I, you know, just generally leave spiders be and let them do their do their work but if you do need to get rid of them i would just go and get a an insecticide like pyrethrum it's a natural uh insecticide to use and just give it them a spray with that okay all right thanks very much that's all right good on you karen thanks for the call bye-bye yeah thank you so much karen Uh, good afternoon bob it broke you've got a gore wasp in the mulberry tree how's broke this afternoon what's the weather like for us bob we've had a shower early this morning but the sun's out shining beautifully Okay, well, it's it's cold and rainy down here, so... Hope, I hope figured, it, was that what the noise was on Karen's call? It, it could have could been. Could have been yeah. some rain. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very dry out there, so, yes, yeah, some rain's uh, certainly going to be helpful. How can we help you today, Bob? Well, I have a mulberry tree, a, a substantial one, and where the branches start to come out off the trunk, it's got big lumps on it. I've been told it's gore wasp. Okay. It, it and at, now on all the branches, it's getting lumps on it too. And um, of course, being big, um, it's where the limbs seem to snap off where these lumps are. So, okay. Look, yeah. It, look, it possibly could be gall wasp. Gall wasp is uh, an insect that mostly damages citrus here in Australia. Gall, the wasp is actually a little native uh, wasp in Australia, but of course, citrus has been introduced, so it, it does its uh, does its thing with that. What happens is the wasp comes and, and lays its egg. The little weevil gets in and it creates a like a lump, like you were describing, uh, on the branches of your citrus. And look, obviously on your mulberry as well. Now, uh, the only trouble with it uh, is that there's very little way you can control it apart from cutting it out and disposing of it. Um, there's no actual spray that you can use uh, once the the eggs are in there and the weevil's doing its job. It's actually already done the damage and you can't get rid of it by then. Um, so if you've got a very large tree, I'm not really sure how you're going to control that adequately, uh, Bob. Uh, when you've got your citrus plants, you just you try not to fertilise too much in winter or early spring uh, because that brings on new green growth. And when it's nice and soft, that's when the wasp gets in there and does the damage. Um, but for you, I'm, I'm not really sure how you're going to get rid of it then in a large tree because I, at this point in time, I'm not sure of a, like a spraying uh, that you can use to, to get rid of those uh, little uh, little lumps in the plant. Well, old, older men have told me, and mm-hmm. like I, when I say older, I'm 68 and yeah. they're a lot older than me, but um, 
Well, my next question, Scott, is if after this year, after it crops and it has got bud burst at the moment, yes. Um, if I cut it off down on the trunk, yeah. Will it kill it, or whether it, will it shoot again? No, it'll definitely shoot again. Uh, that that won't be a problem for it. Yeah, so look, I'd wait till it, it finishes fruiting and flowering and then give it a really hard prune back if you can and uh, let it come back. If you're going to prune it, make sure you give it some, you know, a really good, uh, for about three weeks, just water it really well just to try and reduce that shock to the plant. Yeah, well, I've uh, cut the centre out of it this, this year, mm-hmm. um, actually just this week. But, um, yeah, that was my only thought that if I could spray it maybe with Confidor or something because it gets in the sap and may kill it. But other than that, next year, just give it a really hard chop back. Yeah, I, I think so. And the trouble with the gall wasp, like I said, is that once you notice it, the damage is already done. It's it's not something you can sort of spray and, you know, it gets rid of it that you because you just don't know it's there until they've actually formed those little lumps and nodules. Uh, so, yeah, look, I'll, I'll just give it a hard prune back after you finish fruiting with it. Okay, Dave. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, good on you, Bob. Thank you. Wonderful, Bob. Thank you for that. And also, uh, Scotty, for his weather reporter broke. That was that was handy. It's nice to keep up to date with people out in the ground. Absolutely. Well, Bev, you're at Toronto, and uh, you've got some orchids. You're not sure whether to shift them or repot. Scotty, shift or repot? That is the question. Hello, Bev. Hello, Bev. Uh, hi. Yeah, I've got a Catalaya. Yes. Um, it, it does well. I had six beautiful blooms on it last year but only three this year but it's got it's gone all sort of leggy and i put a bit of florid 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 in it um on it uh for the orchid uh oh, yeah, flourish yeah 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 flourish and um um it's got some new uh little like stems coming out on it uh so i'm just wondering what i should do with it now it's, it's past the blooming, of course. Yeah, okay. And so when you, how is it? Uh, is it nice and full in the pot? Um, or is it, you know, like does it look like it's pot-bound at this point in time? Yeah, well, it's sort of got some roots coming out over, you yeah. know, out over the side of the pot. Look, that's, that's not too bad. Most orchids actually like to be really full in the pot. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. Uh, I'd probably mm-hmm. just keep up your fertilising regime. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now it's outside under the tree. Uh, where it's doing well. Yes. Now, but the one in the in the kitchen uh, was a gift when I was in hospital. But I've had it two years, and it flowered and flowered. And now, uh, this year, I've put the same flourish, flourish on it, um, and it's in the moss uh, in a. A tall glass uh, container. Yes. But the the big leaves, um, they've started to go uh, wrinkly and um, not looking good at all, floppy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then it's got shoots. It's got four or five uh, stems with buds on, but uh, two or three of the buds have gone yellow and dropped off. So I, it doesn't look at all happy. Okay, so I think it sounds like you've got a Phalaenopsis orchid there. What, what I'd yeah. do with that one is I would actually give that a repot. It sounds like it is just in the, uh, you know, the, the sphagnum moss that they, they mm-hmm. sometimes plant them in. And yeah. I, I don't think that's a great medium uh, for Phalaenopsis orchids. They really like a well-drained 
uh, medium. So I would go and get a specific orchid mix for Phalaenopsis and Cattleya orchids and give right. it a repot into that. Oh, right. Yeah. And then um, they don't like to be too wet, do they? No, not at all. They don't like to be wet at all. They prefer to dry out. That's why I'm saying go and get that specific uh, orchid mix. Yeah, well, yeah. I did get orchid mix, but it seemed a bit too coarse because I did repot last year a couple of other ones, but they died. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, look, with, with Phalaenopsis orchids, they could be in a very coarse mix uh, mm-hmm. because they're really... The root system on a Phalaenopsis orchid is just used to, in the rainforest, they just used to cling to the branches of trees. Yeah, well, they're doing that. They're coming out all yes. out, around the outside of the container. Yeah, so look, that's fine for it to do that. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I would put, definitely put it into a much coarser mix, something that's not going to hold water, because holding water would what uh, is what is actually making it, uh, you know, go crinkly like you're describing to us. Thank you very much, uh, Bev from Toronto. Uh, some great advice there, Scotty. And good afternoon, Colin at Salt Ash. Blueberries and fertiliser on your mind this afternoon, Cole. Hey, yes, Cole. Sir. How can we help you, mate? Uh, flowering blueberries in a 50-litre uh, barrel. Yes. Some. Uh, about how much uh, fertiliser? About a half a cup, cup or, in each pot? Mate, that always goes according to the directions. I think uh, what is most important, though, what sort of fertiliser are you using? Uh, it's the, the proper blueberry one. Okay. Uh, I, I, I bought especially for it. Yeah, look, I just... Gen, gen, I couldn't tell you the name. But yeah, I, always yeah. just go according to the directions on the packet. Uh, right. Just, yeah, make sure you do that. Otherwise, you can over-fertilise or conversely yep. under, under-fertilise as well. Uh, look, I guess the thing with blueberries is that they do like slightly acidic soil. Uh, yep. So just make yep. sure that your soil is uh, acidic. Don't uh, if you're growing in blueberries in the ground, uh, don't lime them. Don't uh, no, use no. poultry manure or anything on them. They prefer yep. uh, cow manure, and yep. you know even just a little bit of uh, sulphur just to get your soil slightly acidic. Right, they like a bit of cow manure, do they? Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Cow manure is always uh, slightly acidic, um, so oh, yeah, right. it's not a bad thing to use. Good, yeah, good, but just good. be careful using those in a pot, though, mate. Thank you so much for your call, Colin. And Betty, you're at Singleton. Hello, Betty. You've got a clover question for Scotty today. Hey, Betty, how can we help you? Hello. I've, I've got a problem with the, a flat uh, uh, clover in my, in my... I've got roses growing and I've got ulstromeris underneath, but this flat-leaf clover's come up in, all, in underneath. Yes. Can I put roundabout and paint it with a brush, or should I not do that? I would not do that. Uh, so glyphosate, you know, Roundup Zero, all of those, they're all exactly the same chemical. Uh, mm. I would not use those, it around roses. Uh, right. Actually, yeah, it will actually deform roses and make them mutate. So you have to be mm. very careful about doing that. Right. Have you got any suggestions how I get... They've sort of got right in amongst my alstroemeras and I sort of can't dig them out or anything. Yeah, that, that's all right. There are other uh, weed killers on the market now that mm. actually just... Uh, well, I guess they essentially just burn the, the weed away. Uh, right. So... Look, there's a, all the companies make them now. You just get them in a spray. You, you spray it on, and especially when the sun's out and it's hot, mm-hmm. uh, it actually just sort of shrivels the, the weed up and burns it away. I think it would work very well on clover because it's a particularly soft-leaf plant and won't take too much to burn it away. And it won't affect the alstroemeris? If it contacts it, it will. But as far as uh, you know, uh, getting into the soil, mm-hmm. it certainly won't affect the roses or the alstroemerias. Oh, wonderful. 
Thank you so much, uh, Betty at Singleton. See, lots of advice all over the place today, Scott. Well, we are spreading our, ourselves far and wide, aren't we? And good afternoon, Jim at Swansea. What is going on with your oranges, Jim? Uh, it's a seedless Valencia that I have planted in the ground. It's uh, probably about uh, three or four years old now. And it seems like each year the first fruit that I pick off it is, is normally a really tasty orange. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's a bit of hit and miss, you know? Yeah, some are sweet and some are sour. So, you know, I'm, I'm growing some really big, you know, oranges, but um, some of them are only about a, you know, six or a seven out of ten. Okay, look, oranges typically here in Newcastle, they're not never going to be as sweet as when you, you know, you're getting them from when they've grown out uh, west, where they actually get the chill factor to sweeten up the, the orange. I've heard. And I don't know, and I don't know if it works or not. But I've heard the old story, and people have certainly called in about it. That when you get the oranges on the tree, you know they're they're green, they're starting to you know colour up. They go and get a whole lot of ba- you know bags of ice, and they dump them around the base of the tree, and it chills off the plant and actually makes the orange sweeter. I I can't say that it's going to work or not. I've just heard the story. Um, People will probably call in and say that, yes, it's a great idea and they've done it, and I hope that they do give us some verification about that. Uh, But, look, that that is what I would do, uh, Jim. The other thing I'd also make sure is that the uh, pH of your soil is slightly alkaline, so it might be that you have to add some lime to the soil uh, around your plant. Okay, yeah, because I've got... um I've got another orange tree in the backyard in a big pot, and yeah. the oranges off that are nine out of ten. Yeah. Um, I've got um, a couple of mandarins, and they're very tasty uh, in a pot. Um, it's just that one, the one orange tree, yeah, out of the out of the four citrus trees that I've got, that's um, a bit hit and miss, you know. And is that one in the ground or in a pot, mate? It's in the ground. Okay, yeah. So look, I would definitely give this ice trick a go, see if it works or not. Uh, and but I would also get some lime as well and just sweeten up the soil. Okay, awesome. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks for that, Jim. Yeah, you got to have your oranges sweet, Scotty. That's for sure. Yeah, you can't you? I hope someone calls in and verifies that story. Otherwise, it goes into the the file of being an old wives' tale. And well, it does. It's yeah, X files, X files sort of thing, isn't it? <laughs> you can be. Hang on, which one was? Yeah, I'll yeah, just, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got there. <laughs> Look, uh, Vicky's just rung up, and we we're just talking a little earlier about clover with Betty and uh, Scotty. Vicky said, "Look, she's got a suggested idea: vinegar, sugar, dishwashing detergent mixed up, and then sprayed on the clover. Dead twenty-four yeah, hours. That's, that's a great idea. And the vinegar will be doing the uh, be doing the burning part of it, uh, and the detergent will actually make it stick onto the uh, the clover leaf. So, a great idea. Thank you for that. Vinegar, sugar, and some dishwashing detergent. It's not really going to hurt anything else then. And your dishes will be clean too. You could do that as well. You just spray the dishes, spray the clover. Everything's perfect. Jeffrey Warrabrook, uh, you've got a question for Scotty this afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, how can we help, mate? Yeah, mate, um, I've got a ficus, Benjamina. Yes. And I've had it in a, well, it still is, it's in a, um, a wine keg. Yes. A hunk of wine keg been cut down, and it's probably 15 plus years old. Yeah, very good. And it is massive. So and, and the only reason we haven't been able to, to prune it or do anything with it, we've had birds nesting in there. They mm-hmm. think it's quite good to hide in there. But now they're all gone, and it is big and we've got to do something about it yeah i'm wondering uh have you actually got that situated on pavers or on over you know just plain ground what, what's happening with... 
Yeah, it's gone through the keg into the ground. Yeah, there. I was going to say, I'd be very, very careful. After 15 years, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's found its way out. Because you have to be careful, mate. They can turn into monsters. So pruning it is the right thing to do at the moment. Uh, look, at, I, I wouldn't prune it right now. I would wait until it starts to warm up a touch. Now, the only reason for that is you go and give it a prune now and new growth will start to come on. And if we still get cold nights, cold winds, then that will just burn off and you might start to get some die back in the plant. So I'd be waiting till at least mid-August and then give it your hard hard cutback. Right now, in August. Yeah, and you can certainly go hard with it, mate. Yeah, okay, because it's, it's pretty much it's nearly around about six metres in diameter. <laughs> oh, the whole the whole plant. Yeah, the whole the whole plant itself. It is huge. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, if if you really desperate, there's no reason you can't do it now. Uh, it's just that any new growth may be be burnt back off by winds or cold. So, look, if you really feel you have to, it's not as if the plant's going to die. Uh, give it give it a cut back now. The other thing I'll be doing is trying to, uh, you know, think about, uh, you know, removing it from the soil in some way um, after you've cut no, it. Back. No. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's the, the wine, the wine keg with the soil straps around it, it's holding it all in place. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. Look, mate, um, just just be aware that uh, you know a plant like that can uh, get into uh, you know old uh, clay pipes and you know do some serious damage if you let it go. So. Uh, pruning it back is the right thing to be doing. Sounds like a lot of effort for Jeffrey there. No matter what he does, he's, he's going to be a mammoth task, Scotty. Well, he needs to keep it under control. That's like yeah, that's a monster in your backyard. A bit like yourself, need to be kept under control from time to time. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> Scotty, looks like it's topic time. Yes. Well, why don't we talk about Hoyas? They're a fantastic little plant that are, well, they're not out in flower at the moment, but I've always loved Hoyas. And my grandmother used to grow them. Oh, there's the connection. There's the connection. And I have got one on my back shed at home, out in the full sun. I do not know how the poor plant survives, but it does. And every now and again, it it just throws out a, you know, a few little pink flowers. And I go, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that plant tough? And they are one of those plants that you can just, you know, sort of throw away, you know, in the back of the, you know, the shade house, uh, you know, under some trees, uh, out in the full sun on the shed as well, although I wouldn't recommend that. And they'll just keep on going. Some Very people, versatile. They are. Some people call them wax plants. They've got a really thick, you know, sort of heavy green wax leaf. Sometimes you get variegated ones as well. They are a climber. Uh, and you get these really beautiful little clusters of uh, fragrant flowers that drop down. How would I describe them? Like a little, you know, like a little bell almost that comes down the flowers uh, down the bottom of that. And you get then many little flowers um, from that cluster. Uh, very easy to look after as well as evidenced by mine over the back <coughs> shed. Uh, but they will do quite well inside as well in uh, in shady conditions. So that's uh, another um, you know place you can have them if you if you want to. Um, look, yeah, just a, again, a very easy plant to look after um, and variety of flowers, variety of flower colours, mostly in the, in the pinks, the dark burgundies, uh, but a, yeah, a great plant uh, to get for a climber up on a shelf, let it trail down, uh, give it a prune every now and again and uh, Bob's your uncle with it. Again, just nice and easy. We like the nice and easy ones to look to maintain. Oh, I, I look, I certainly do. I certainly do, and especially mine over the over the shed. I just don't know how it keeps on going. Uh, it gets some shade in summer, but it must be hot up there. But uh, yeah, she just keeps on going. It does what it does, Scotty. I could not let you leave without because we talked about the topics you want to get to. Carrots. Oh, is that what the do. handcuffs are about? I. 
<laughs> if you say so. So, look, uh, purple carrots. I only first became aware of these as a thing a, a, a couple of years ago, but well, all original carrots, they started as purple, didn't they? Am yes, I right? Yeah. you're absolutely right. Look, you've stolen my thunder. I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yeah, yeah so, look, uh, all carrots were purple originally. Uh, the, the Dutch uh, had them, and they, they started to get mutations from them. They'd get white carrots. They'd uh, start to get uh, sort of little bit ones with little bits of orange on them. And then they started to, uh, you know, breed them together. And finally, they got this, you know, yellow, purple, you know, sort of colour. And then finally, they got the orange carrot as we know today. So I'm still amazed that that can actually happen. I mean, you've got a, a, in this case, the carrot, it's purple, right? Yep. How do you get from that to different colours? Like, how do you, how does that even happen? Well, it actually, the purple, the orange carrot doesn't have the purple pigment, and I'm going to pigment, and I'm going to say this anthocyanin. So it's actually the lacking carrot. It's the it's the carrot that sort of missed out. The orange, the, the orange one, carrot. yeah, but the purple one is the one to have because it has got all those things in the mm. anthocyanin. And, you know, I'm not doing very well with that no. word, am I? So it's kind of the runt of the litter. Then we decide, hang on a minute, we like the colour, we like the taste of that. Let's sort of breed those into existence too. Yeah, so then they, when it, that mutation happened, then they just kept on breeding the orange carrot. I don't know that... Do you Have you tasted them both? Well, purple and, and orange. orange well, yeah. Yeah, the taste is... is Pretty much the same, as far as I can tell. Do you reckon? Uh, well, that's I've got pretty bad s- smell, so my taste buds, I don't, I don't think, are really up oh, to scratch. I mean, I love carrot. I mean, a, a nice, sweet, tasty carrot. I could just eat those all day long. But I love the purple carrot. There's something about. I mean, it's it, horrible to handle because I mean, you just you can't get that purple off your hands. It's uh, but you know they taste fantastic. The, they, the other reason they think that the orange might have become so popular in the Netherlands was that it was the uh, the colour of the House of Orange, uh, and that was the symbol of the struggle for uh, Dutch independence. So you know, all of a sudden they had this you know fantastic plant and, and vegetable that symbolised something. They used to eat lots of it anyway. Very nationalistic of them. And so the purple carrot just got went flicked to the, by the wayside, and they went with the orange. Well, both are lovely, so we're thankful that both of them are still very much alive. Now, thank you also to Bianca at Rutherford. Uh, you've got a question online for Scotty Sharp today. Hello, Bianca. Hi. Um, hi, Scott. Now, I have a question about the lime that you put into the ground. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who swears by putting lime over everything, including his fruit trees and roses and just about everything. <laughs> and I've got a bag of lime and... Like I'm doing it now. I was getting ready. You're on the radio, and I started googling, and I noticed that some plants don't like. Um, they're sorry. They're uh, they like acidic soil. Yes, that's correct. And so lime can change that. So I don't want to hurt my camellias or fruit trees, roses. What can you? Tell me about it. Yeah, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. So, look, plants do like different, you know, acidity or alkalinity in the soil. So yeah. those first ones you mentioned, like the roses, the citrus trees, uh, you know, other stone fruit, they like yeah. a slightly alkaline soil. So you can use lime there. People also oh, use good. lime on their lawns as well. If it's, you know, yeah. a bit soggy and sort of starting to go sour, they'll add some lime as well. I it kills moss. Uh, yes, it could do that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, all so right. So there's no reason to do that. But the other thing you did mention about uh, camellias, yeah. uh, you know, native plants, you wouldn't go and use lime on them. Uh, certainly uh, camellias, uh, gardenias, they like a slightly acidic soil. 
Uh, not that you'll kill them, you'll just sort of slow the plant down and they become more susceptible mm. to pest and disease. Uh, you know, they, they can't mm. extract certain, you know, me- minerals and elements from the soil. And they oh, just I don't want little... to do that. Yeah. I've got a beautiful row of, um, yeah, camellias and they're beautiful. I don't want to hurt yeah, them. Yeah, so, ke- uh, so keep your lime away from them. Go for it with, the, uh, with your roses, uh, with any citrus mm-hmm. trees you have and other stone fruit as well. Thank oh, you. fantastic. All right, thank you so much for that. You've clarified it. Okay, thanks, Bianca. Bye-bye. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bianca. Brett uh, Swansea this afternoon. Brett, uh, the yep. bees are dying. Good afternoon. G'day, mate. Yeah, I've got camellias on, on, in my driveway. Yes. I've got a double pink and a, a red one starting to bloom, like go really crazy now. But all the bees, there was about 50 of them dead in the driveway the other morning. Like they're just feeding on the red on the red camellia. You have, have you sprayed them with anything, mate? No, no. Okay, look, uh, I, I can't answer that one exactly. All I no, can say, no, I just thought that yeah. might might be a um, beekeeper out there. That I, I, I thought the camellia might be toxic to them or something like that. Yeah, you, well, I couldn't imagine that would be the case. I've certainly seen bees, um, you know, feeding on all sorts of camellias before. My way of thinking is, unless someone you know in the area has sprayed, you know, they don't like confidor, the old bee, because um, it stays mm. in the sap stream of the plant. So that's why I was asking if you had sprayed yours and it had no. gone up into the pollen. So. Uh, look, I just think we generally have to be careful about our bees um, and what we're spraying. Uh, yep. Yeah, so just yeah, be, be aware of that. Uh, it could be someone in your area that's done it and, and you know, it's affected them all at the same time and they've, they've dropped off. But if any uh, apiarists out there uh, know about it, they might be able to give us some information. So do you want to come back and just revisit the uh, carrots just for a very brief moment this afternoon? Oh, I love, love the carrot. Apparently, I've got some facts here for you, Mark. Oh, you've done your fact-checking. fun fact thing. Uh, You can actually turn your skin a shade of orange by eating too many orange carrots. That's one way to get a tan, isn't it? Have a little bit of a glow about you. (laughs) Uh, Carrots actually uh, came from where modern-day Afghanistan is now. That's where they've traced their origin back to. I think you might like this one as well. I'm ready for you. Okay, ancient times... Uh, the uh, Romans believed that carrots in their seeds were aphrodisiacs. As such, oh, hello. Carrots, yeah, hello, were a common plant found in Roman gardens. <laughs> Maybe this is, did they just get that idea from the fact that carrots uh, are eaten by rabbits a lot? Okay, I look at yeah, I, I No, you're lost? I, I know exactly where you're coming from there. Yeah. I think we might just you know move away from it now to another fun fact. Okay. Yes. Fun fact number four. Well, the uh, ra- radar in World War II was invented by the British and they were using it to shoot down uh, enemy planes at night. Mm. But to cover the fact that that actually created radar and made that invention, they created this lie that they were feeding all their airmen carrots and improving their night vision. And that's what was making them so special it, is that it was, was the carrots. Yeah, nothing to do with radar. I don't know how long that went on, on for. At the moment, most of our carrots uh, come from China and then uh, the next biggest producer, producer is Russia. Very well. All righty, Scotty, about a minute or so to go. Actually, no, we've actually run out of time. There we go. That's it. Done. Fantastic. Yep. You'll have to save everything else for next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.